Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. There's a very desperate need in our nation today. And that need is for an effective plan to raise well-mannered, well-behaved children. If you don't believe me, just talk to any grammar school teacher. I remember several years ago now when my sons were in middle school, I was invited to come and speak on career day. And I remember how appalled I was at the lack of discipline in the classroom when I was trying to talk about my career and the kids just interrupted and up and moving around. And I was thinking there's no doubt in my mind why very little learning goes on in the modern day classroom. We keep pouring billions and billions of dollars into public education, but the test scores don't go up. And I think the main problem is we have ill-mannered, ill-behaved children. And so what we need is an effective plan to raise well-behaved, well-mannered children. Now, that's the need. So next question is, what's the blame? Who's the blame? Why is it that we have it this way, and who is the blame? Now, the problem is that we're not raising our children according to the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We have a generation in our country today that has rejected God's plan for raising children, and they have accepted man's plan for raising children. Hence, we have many children that are ill-mannered, ill-behaved little rebels. Well, who's the blame? Well, I think the Scripture gives us that answer as well. If you'll take your Bibles and turn over to Ephesians chapter 6, I'll be reading in verses 1 through 4. In Ephesians chapter 6, let me ask you to stand in respect for the Word of God. <clears throat> Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and the hearing and the doing of His Word. Well, where does God place responsibility for Child raising and discipline in the home. Fathers. Verse 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but raise them up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. God places the primary responsibility for the discipline in the home squarely on the shoulders of us dads. And the problem in America is too many men have given over and given up their primary role as chief disciplinarian in the home. 
Now, it is a joint effort between mother and father. Make no mistake, I understand that. And the mother's part is indispensable in the process. But that doesn't change the fact, guys, that God places the primary responsibility for the discipline of our children on us, not on our wives. And I'm convinced that we will one day have to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and we will have to give an account for how we have disciplined our children. And I can imagine too many dads standing before Jesus saying, well, but, but Lord, you know, I left that with my wife. You know, I was tired. I've been working all day. When I got home, I, I just didn't feel like having to discipline the children. And Lord, you know, women are just better with children than guys are. So I just left that to her. And I can imagine the Lord saying, but who did I give the responsibility to? I gave it to you. And it wasn't yours to give up to anybody else. Dad, what will the Lord Jesus say to you on that day? I think there are two things that need to happen. First, Fathers must assume their God-given responsibility as the chief disciplinarian in the home. And then secondly, fathers must use and lead their wives to use God's plan for raising children. God has given us a plan. It's in His book. We need to raise our children based on the Word of God. Now, for those who may be listening over the internet who do not know me, uh, Terry and I have raised six children. They're all grown now, four daughters, two sons. I do not claim to be an expert, but I do claim to have experience when it comes to raising children. Now, all of our children are grown, and their lives speak for themselves. But I will be sharing with you today principles that we used and sought to use to raise our children. Were we perfect? Of course not. Are our children perfect? Of course not. That's why they needed parents. But God honored these principles of His Word. And I want to encourage you to take the truth of God's Word and base your discipline and instruction of your children on His Word, not on the words of men. The question is, do you want to be blessed or do you want to be cursed? Over in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 17, we read, Correct your son and he will give you comfort. He will also delight your soul. That's the blessing part. Correct them. And they'll bless you when they grow up. Or, Proverbs 29, 15. A child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. You let a child do what he wants to do growing up, having his own way, and you are going to have heartache. You're going to have much pain. So when it boils down, parents, dads, 
The choice is in your hands. Now, there are two stages in child raising. I've reduced it to two stages. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to raise kids. It just takes good, common, sanctified sense. And it takes the Word of God. Okay? And I want to share with you what I believe to be God's plan. And again, you can break it up into two stages. The first stage is the controlling stage. This is found in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. The second stage that we'll look at in a couple of weeks, we're only going to look at the first one today. The second one we'll look at in a couple of weeks is the teaching phase or teaching stage, which is summed up in verse 2. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long on the earth. So first, let's look at the first stage, the first phase, which is the controlling phase. God commands obedience. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, God commands children to obey. But whose responsibility is it that a three-year-old obey his parents? It's the parents' responsibility. Primarily the dad's responsibility. So although God addresses this command to children, we obviously know it's our responsibility as parents to see to it that they do obey us. Now the first thing your child must learn is to obey your voice. That's the first thing. If they do not learn to obey your voice, you cannot really teach them anymore in the child training process. That's where it's got to begin. To obey your voice. Before we can go any further, they've got to learn that. Now, God says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, what does it mean, this is right? Why is it right for children to obey their parents? It's right because God has given the parents the responsibility of raising those children. God has placed the parents as the rulers in that children's life. God has given you that authority. And you can't give it over to anybody else. It's yours. God's placed it on you. Your word is to be law in that home. The family is not a democracy. It's not a democracy. You are not to have a family vote and let your children decide what time they want to go to bed. You don't bring them together and let them decide what they want to eat and what they do not want to eat. Your word is law. Now, for those who have problems with authority, for those who may have experienced a negative authority figure in their lives, this is difficult because they think, well, who am I to tell them what they've got to do? You're the parent. That's who you are. God's placed that on you. That's your job. That's your responsibility. Now, you may well want to take their feelings into consideration, but you must have the final decision in the matter. Even when your kids become teenagers and they make many decisions, you must always retain the veto vote. The way I see it is, as long as they're putting their feet under my table and sleeping under my roof, 
That gives me the veto vote. When they want to have total responsibility to make decisions as they want, then they need to have responsibility for their substance and well-being and their, uh, their income, right? When they come to that point, yes, you're taking care of yourself, then you make those decisions. But the parents must never give up the final word of, over their children who are in their home. They must learn to obey your voice because if they do not obey you, they will not respect you. They will not honor you. And if they do not honor you, they will not accept your teaching. That's why God put it in this order. First, they've got to learn to obey your voice. Next, you can teach them. Because if they don't respect you, they will not learn from what you're teaching them. They will not accept it. A teenager who says, my parents are just idiots, is a teenager who's never learned to obey the voice of his parents. And so he doesn't respect them. He thinks they're just a bunch of idiots. So your children must first learn to obey your voice. You say, well, preacher, I don't know what your kids will like, but that's easier said than done. I mean, my kids just seem to want to do just the opposite of what I want them to do. I mean, they got a will, and that will is almost always the opposite of what mine is. It's just a constant struggle. Yes, <laughs> there is going to be a struggle. You see, because they've got a thing called a sin nature. And that sin nature is selfish. That sin nature is a rebel at heart. They're little rebels. They come into this world little rebels. You know what David said? He said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Now, he didn't mean that she was involved in some sinful act when she conceived him. What he meant was he knew that in his core he was sinful. Given the opportunity, he would do wrong. There is not an inclination toward good, but an inclination toward evil within us. That's why you do not have to teach children to be selfish. You do not have to teach them to grab that toy away from that other kid that's playing with it. That comes natural, doesn't it? There is a sin nature. And that sin nature causes them to want to do what they want to do, not what you want them to do. And so you've got to deal with with that sin nature, and that's going to cause conflict. And so if you're a person who just doesn't like conflict, I'm sorry. You shouldn't be a parent because you're going to have conflict as a parent. Now, the only question is not whether you'll have conflict or not, but whether you're going to deal with the conflict early on or whether it's going to be a major conflict later on that you can't deal with. It's going to be a greater conflict if you don't deal with it soon. Susanna Wesley, mother of John and Charles Wesley, had something like 18 children. And this is what she said. The parent who studies to subdue the self-will in his child works together with God in the renewing and saving of a soul. The parent who indulges it does the devil's work, makes religion impractical, salvation unattainable, and does all that is in him lies to damn his child 
soul and body forever. Now, those are pretty strong words, aren't they? So the Bible says they first got to learn to obey. You've got to bring that self-will under your control. Well, how do you do that? How do you get that rebel to submit to your word? How do you get that rebellion out of their hearts? Now, God only gives one remedy that I can see. And it's found over in the book of Proverbs, chapter 22, in verse 15. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will remove it far from him. Now, I know this is a very controversial subject in our day. I know that it is politically incorrect, excuse me, incorrect to spank your children, but I want you to know that God's Word teaches that it is the rod that will drive out that rebellion in the heart of a child. Not going to their room, but the rod. That's God's only cure. Foolishness in this passage is the meaning of insolence, the meaning of arrogance, where a child says, and thinks, I know more than you know. My way is better than your way. I'm not going to do your way. Now, we as adults have a sense of of what's just not good logic, not good common sense. Kids don't have that. I remember when my boys were about four years old, and I was telling them a Bible story at night before I put them to bed. And I don't remember which one of them it was, but one of them proceeded to correct me and said, Daddy, no, that's not the way that Bible story goes. Now, here we have a four-year-old kid telling a man who spent over 30 years studying the Scriptures, postgraduate degree in Bible, that I don't know the Word of God. That he knows more than I do. Now, is that not arrogance? Now, that's that childhood foolishness that we're talking about. That a child raises up against his parents and says, I know more than you know. I'm not going to do your way. Now, it's that kind of foolishness that it's only the rod of reproof that will drive it out. Now, I can speak with authority on my own life. I've lived it. I'm intimately acquainted with it. And I can speak. Now, even if the Bible didn't clearly teach that the rod's necessary to drive out rebellion, I could look at my life and tell you it is. If I had known that I would not get a spanking when I got home if I misbehaved in school, and they would not be able to spank me in school, you think I would have behaved? Why would I? It's a lot more fun not to. I wouldn't have behaved one bit. You think I was disruptive now. 
because I kind of figured out where the line was, and I never quite got to that line where I'd get a spank in the school and have to get one at home, but I'd push it. But if I knew I wouldn't have to get chastised, I wouldn't have behaved. I didn't have enough sense to behave. I would have just rebelled all over the place, caused problems, because it's fun. If they'd suspended me, that wouldn't have been any punishment. I didn't want to be there anyway. I never figured out why that's a punishment. Do you? Hey, I don't have to go to school today. And I wasn't mature enough to be shamed by it. I just thought it was a good game. So I know in my life, if my folks had not disciplined me and chastised me readily and frequently, I'd be in prison today. I'm convinced, if not worse. So I know for a fact, from my own experience, now I know some children, just by nature, you won't have to spank very much in their life. There are others, though, like me, you're going to have to do it. And you need to do it. And no matter, they may not appreciate it at that time, but when they get old enough and mature enough, they'll realize that was God's way. That's what God's design is. Now, I am 150% against child abuse. And don't misunderstand me. I do not think a parent should, should harm their child physically, that they should abuse him verbally or physically. And I am not talking about that. When I talk about using the rod, I am not talking about child abuse in any way. Now, over in Proverbs 23, verses 13 and 14, I think we have some good instruction. It says, Do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you strike him with the rod, he will not die. You shall strike him with the rod and rescue his soul from Sheol. Now, he says, though you strike him with the rod, he will not die. Now, I think that's instructive. Because you could take a willow branch and you could kill a two or three or four-year-old kid with it. So I think what he's saying is you need to size the rod according to the child. Now, you get a little old switch off of a bush, you know, about that long and just real thin. I mean, just, you know, you know a little switch. And that's what you use on a 18-month, 2-3 year old. Just a little action like that on the legs. The little stinging action. That's all it takes. All right? That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about just really laying into them. You should not cause any redness that lasts over 30 minutes so you've done damage. Yeah. <laughs> also, I do not recommend a wooden spoon or a yardstick, anything that is not flexible. Because when you use something that is stiff, the full force of your blow goes into that child. When it's flexible, that's give. And so you don't cause the deep tissue damage because you're not applying the full force. And that's when you can get into abuse when I think you use a hard object. But something that's flexible, a little switch, now, he gets up about 14 to 15. You may need that hickory branch, but uh, that willow branch. But anyway, when they're young, and we're just talking about the wrist action, just 
The stinging sensation is what they need. It's something about that that drives out that rebellion. Now, it's got to be done right. I've talked to parents, and they said, Yeah, well, preacher, I tried that spanking, and it didn't work with my kids. I said, Oh, yeah, it didn't work. I said, Well, how do you do it? And so they act like they had a little switch, and they went, And I said, no, that's not going to do it. That's just going to make him mad. I mean, just one slot? That just gets you angry. you got to move them from, glad, from mad to glad. They're glad you're stopping. Now, again, don't misunderstand me. And I know that some of you are having a hard time even hearing this. But this is God's way, folks. And we cannot throw out the baby with the bathwater. And just because society looks down on it and says you're being abusive, we cannot give it up. We've got to do it correctly. But you have to do more than just one or two taps. You've got to give it to the stinging. They're just glad you stopped. If not, you're just going to get angry. And so you've got to use your parental wisdom about that. Now, some say spanking is not humane. Well, it's better than that. It's divine. Because it's God's way. It's God's pattern. Now, let me give you a few more characteristics to help you. First, it is an expression of love. Proverbs thirteen twenty four. Far from proper chastisement being abusive, to not chastise according to Scripture is to be abusive to your kids. Proverbs 13, 24 says, He who withholds his rod hates his son. God says, if you're not willing to use the rod at the right time in the right way, you're not really showing love to that kid at all. You have to love them enough to be able and willing to bring that rod because you know how it hurts you as a parent to do so. He goes on to say, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. It is an expression of love. God's Word says that God's discipline of us is an expression of His love. What does the right of Hebrews say over in Hebrews chapter 12? Hebrews chapter 12 says, For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines, and He scourges every son whom He receives. In fact, that passage goes on to say, If God's not disciplining you, then you're illegitimate. You're not one of His. Because it was unheard of that a loving father would not discipline his children. And so it is an expression of love when done correctly and for the right reasons. Not only is it an expression of love, but it also must be consistent. Now back to Proverbs thirteen twenty four, It says, But he who loves him disciplines him diligently. 
Now, that word diligently means to be consistent. That's another thing I find out when parents say, well, you know, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work to fight my kids. And then you start talking to them, and you realize it's because they're not consistent. I mean, kids are gamblers by nature. If you discipline them sometimes for doing this, and you don't discipline them other times for doing this, most kids do it taking a chance you won't spank them this time. Right? You've got to be consistent. And that's the hardest part of parenting is being consistent. When you're tired, when you're worn out, you just don't want to carry through, but you've got to. You've got to be consistent. So you must discipline them consistently. Anytime a child will not submit to your rule, then the rod of reproof needs to come out. Now, I don't think you should spank children for every offense. I do not think that. I think the spanking or chastisement should only be reserved for acts of rebellion. You must, as a parent, distinguish between foolishness, which needs the rod, and childishness, which does not. For instance, you're talking to your seven-year-old boy, and you say, okay, now, the rule is we don't run in the house. Run in the house, you're going to be disciplined. Well, a couple of days later, he has his friend over, and they're in his room, and they're getting all wound up, feeding in each other. Next thing you know, they're tearing off through the house. And you say, what? Wait a minute. All right, now you've got to make a decision right there in the moment. Is this foolishness, which is an act of rebellion? Or is this just being a child, just not thinking? Well, you determined that it wasn't that your son was sitting in his room saying, Hey, my folks told me not to run. Let's go run and test it. That would be foolishness. It wasn't that. They just got excited and they just took off without thinking and were running through the house. So you wouldn't use the rod at that point, but you would discipline them because he broke the rule. You'd say, okay, you're going to have to go to your room now. Y'all are going to have to take out a timeout. You're going to have to go to your room because you know you're not supposed to run in the house. Okay? See the difference? Now, if five minutes later he comes running out again, well, then you've moved it up to the foolishness. You see, something that may be childish done the first time, when it keeps being done, it's raising it up to the level of foolishness. And at that point, the rod of reproof needs to come out. Anytime your child resists your authority, I want you to go clean up your room. I don't want to clean up my room. I'm not going to clean up my room. I want to play. Now, is that childishness or is that foolishness? That's foolishness. And you need to bring out the rod. Overcome that resistance, and they will go to their room and clean it up. So you need to make a distinction. That's a little easier with boys. They're more outright. They they Usually when they rebel, it's pretty clear. Girls are a little more sneaky about it. They're a little more passive in their rebellion, so you've got to kind of keep an eye on those girls. They can be just as rebellious, but a little sneaky about it. All right, so you've got to be careful there. So it must be consistent. It is an expression of love, and we need to start early. Proverbs 19.18 says, Discipline your son while there is hope, 
Do not desire his death. You wait until he's 12 or 13 to try to make him obey your word, and you have lost him. He can leave home, and he will. You've got to teach them to obey your word from the very early ages. I would say anywhere around 10, 11, 12 months even. When they get old enough that they know when you say no, and they start looking at you. I remember clearly again, I don't remember which twin it was, but they got a lot more spankings than the girls did. But he was in his walker, so he's around 10, 11 months. You know when they can walk in that thing. And he'd go over and start grabbing on the curtain, pulling on it. So I'd walk over and I'd say no. And pop his hand. Well, then he'd come away and then he'd go back over there and I'd do it again. And then before I know it, I was going ahead and, and it was in the dining room and I was eating and I kind of, at the corner of my eye, caught him moving in that direction. But he was going in that direction looking at me. Now, he knew he was doing wrong. And when you can tell, when they know, when they're looking to see if you're looking before they do something you told them not to do, they know. They're old enough to realize you mean business. So you have got to continue to consistently get the idea across until they realize, yes, I must obey the voice. Now, here's the goal. The goal is for them to obey you quickly with the right attitude. Now, if you want to put it down on your child's level, say, first-time obedience with a happy heart. You don't want to be like that kid that tells his mom, I may be sitting down, but I'm standing up on the inside when his mom told him to sit down. You must, the attitude and the action is important. They can actually comply with your command, but if their attitude is one of rebellion, then they've got to be dealt with, with the rod of reproof. Now, this comes to what we call first-time obedience. This is the number one best thing you can do as a parent for you and for the child, to train them to first-time obedience. That simply means you tell them once, and they do it. You see, too many times we mistrain our children. Like Johnny, who was trained that his mom would say it four times, and on the fourth time he'd have to do it. But she'd say, Johnny, go clean your room. He'd just keep on doing what he was doing. He was like, Johnny, I told you to go clean your room. He'd just keep doing it. She'd come back third time, Johnny, I said go clean your room. He didn't pay any attention. Then the fourth time, Johnny, I told you to go clean your room. Well, she got to the right pitch and the right tone and the right volume, so he went off and cleaned his room. But she trained him that way. Or sometimes people train their kids, they tell them four times to go clean their room, and then they say, if you don't do that, I'm going to beat you within an inch of your life. And then they go do it. Right? But if they don't say that, they're not going to do it. They've trained them that way. And then you got those that tell them four times, threaten to, to kill them, and then the kid doesn't do it and they still don't do anything. The threatening, repeating parent that doesn't carry it through. And that kid's not going to do it at all. Why, why would he? He knows his mom's just blowing off steam. 
So what happens is mom gets frustrated, she gets angry, when all that can be eliminated with first-time obedience. Johnny, go clean your room. Yes, ma'am. He goes and cleans it. You say, well, preacher, how do you get there? Well, it's not hard. Johnny, go clean your room. Johnny's still playing. A rod of reproof comes out. Johnny, I told you to clean your room, and I don't have to tell you but once. You got a genius there. They will pick it up so quickly. You won't have to do that over a couple of times, let me promise you. And you say it one time, and Johnny goes and cleans his room. But now, you say it once, and you spank him, and then you do it another time and don't spank him. You got to be consistent, right? You got to train. Kids only do like we train them to do. And it's much less frustration on you and the child, actually, if you train them to first-time obedience. Train them to acknowledge your voice, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, and then do it. If they don't do it after being told one time, bring out the rod of reproof. A few times is all it takes. And they will obey you first time. It could save their lives. A child's running out toward the street. Car's coming. You yell, stop! They've learned first time obedience. They stop. If they haven't, they just may keep going. Well, he's got to say it four times and then threaten to kill me before I'm going to stop. You may save their lives. Let me ask you this. How many times does God need to tell you and me to do something? Does he have to tell us four times and then threaten to send us to hell? <clears throat> no. One time. Quick obedience with a happy heart. That's the goal. That's the first thing you must teach your children. Because you can't go any further in child training until they've come to that point. Because if they don't obey you, they will not respect you and honor you. And if they don't respect you and honor you, you cannot teach them all the things in life that you need to teach them. In a few weeks, we'll come back and take the teaching phase. And I'll share with you God's plan for that. But dads, your children need you. They need you to be that godly disciplinarian, that loving disciplinarian. Now, all of this I've been talking about today presupposes that you're having a loving relationship with your child. You're not just one who brings a rod out when there's a need for it. You need to be playing with that child. You need to be loving that child. You need to be hugging that child. You need to be spending time with that child. In fact, there's one psychologist, a psychiatrist named Ross Campbell that says every child has an emotional tank. And if that tank's not full, they start acting out so they can get your attention. And you've got to ask yourself, have I been giving this child the, prop, the appropriate attention by eye contact, by appropriate touch, by spending quality time with them? And when you've been doing that, then you can step in when they have misbehaved and deal with it appropriately. But dads, your kids need you. I want to show you this video. Dad, Dad, hey Dad. 
I want to be rich and good looking. I want to be rich and good looking. I need you to challenge me. I need you to challenge me to be rich and good work. To be rich and good works. I'll be focused on building my career at all costs. I'll need you to show me how to put my family ahead of work. I'll seek my own comfort and joy. I'll seek my own comfort and joy. I need you to teach me to honor God. I'll need you to teach me to honor God with my time and resources. I'll want to avoid hard conversations. I'll want to avoid hard conversations. I'll need you to show me how to speak the truth in love. In love. I'll find myself wanting to please the crowd. I'll find myself wanting to please the crowd. I'll need you to remind me that I should obey God. That I should obey God. I'll look for happiness in many different places. I'll need you to show me that joy is found in following Christ. I'll want to treat girls how the world tells me to. I'll need you to show me how to honor them with all my actions. I'll find myself stuck in bad habits. I'll need you to show me the way out. I'll need you to show me the way out. I will need you, Dad. I'll need you, Dad. I need you, Dad. I need you, Dad. To point me toward Christ when no one else will. To point me to Christ when no one else will. Let's pray. We do welcome you, and I'm glad that you have taken the opportunity to listen to a sermon on our Internet. And I want you just to know that uh, everybody in the church is not like me. Uh, I have these fellows up here, our leadership team. Uh, This is Filiberto Medina, who is our Hispanic pastor. And our Hispanic congregation meets every Sunday evening at 630. This is Paul Kumar. He is our Minister of Community Connections. Uh, and to my left is Mark Baker, who heads up our Reformers Unanimous Ministry, which is a Christian addiction recovery program that meets every Friday night at 7 o'clock. So if you live in the Mableton area, uh, and it doesn't matter what race you're from, it doesn't matter your cultural background, I want you to know you are welcome at Westside Church. This is where everybody is somebody and Jesus is Lord. Hope you'll join us soon. Thank you for being with us for this message. Each week, Dr. Stewart gives practical applications and ways to live out the Word of God. If you would like more information, please take a moment to view our website at wbcfamily.org. That's wbcfamily.org.